1: prize picks will match your first deposit up to a hundred dollars just visit prizepicks.com play 100 and use code play 100 that's code play 100 at prizepicks.com play 100 for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy
2: fair play and fair value it's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you're with. Gamble responsibly.
0: This is Davies, treble winner, and you're listening to Ranks FC. Hello everybody and welcome to Ranks FC. Now you were probably not expecting a Monday drop but it's a very very special week. It's Cyber Week and we thought we'd give you a little bit of a treat. So what we're doing is we're opening up our Patreon offering to everybody for a week to let you know. One, how much you're missing out on by not being patrons and two, to give you a kind of taster of what we do over there and, and kind of get more people involved in the situation. So today is our Monday postbox. Every week we answer as many questions as we possibly can in an hour about the weekend's football. Just before we get into the postbox and there is a lot of mail as usual, Dean's got some very interesting news about a giveaway for everybody going on.
3: Yeah, I don't think we've ever done a giveaway before of any sort, whether it was BR Football Ranks, Ranks FC, just our general lives, whatever. But we have our first giveaway. And here we go then. So in honour of Black Friday this week, we're doing giveaways across all three shows. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, there will be competitions. The prize for this first one is any football shirt you want. So you fancy a Leipzig shirt, you can have a Leipzig shirt but you'll want a Fulham shirt, so I've already bought it. Um, Just let us know where to send it. No, any any football shirt you want, you could win. This is how you enter. You get a mate to subscribe to our Patreon and then you simply DM us that person's name. We double check that they definitely did sign up um, and you are in there. It's the easiest competition in the world. If you get three mates to sign up, We'll enter you three times. Do whatever you want, but just make sure that somebody signs up to our Patreon, obviously because it's brilliant, and then we will randomly select a winner and hopefully the
0: prize will be with you in time for Christmas. I'd like to think so. Yeah, I would like to think so as well. We are reasonably efficient these days in our in our new nimble format. And and with that, Sam, I think it's probably time to get on to the post box because we have a lot of questions to answer. And we'll start the Premier League, Sam, as usual. A lot of questions about Spurs uh, and their actual title credentials. Now, Zach Cohen says, can Spurs actually contend for the title? I legitimately believe they have the all-round best squad, with probably the best player this season in Harry Kane. Am I delusional for thinking this? Uh, And Gabriel Levy says, the Spurs actually have a chance of the title. They looked very convincing on Saturday. Now to counter it, I suppose. Darius Cade has said to us, can we please stop pretending that Tottenham are a legitimate title contender? (laughs) They have had a great start to their season and have a strong team, but they are also Tottenham. They exist to bottle things and they will bottle this too. Also, I feel like we shouldn't talk about teams as title contenders until we reach the halfway point of the season. There are so many games left to play. Leicester started quite well last year, then fell off a cliff. I would not be shocked if Tottenham did the same. Now, Sam, I know this is kind of how you feel about the title and predicting things early on is not necessarily your bag, but I think it would be mad to write Tottenham off at this point.
4: Yeah, I don't think you can rule them out. I just, yeah, I'm with Darius in the, not with the bottling thing. I'm with Darius in the, uh, it's a bit early. If we all accept, as we say every single week, that this is the craziest season on record, that nothing makes sense, then I don't think it makes sense to start picking out obvious title contenders other than, you know, Liverpool and City, who basically contended it last year. Even with Chelsea's hot start hitting the top of the table for a stretch this weekend, even with Tottenham doing what they've done. I mean, I think it's okay sometimes just to calm down a little bit and just to enjoy the ride. And obviously Spurs fans are doing just that. It's completely fine to dream big, but you're not going to get me drawn on pimping Spurs for the absolute title. I mean, look, Dean was pretty hot on them last week. And when we previewed Man City versus Tottenham uh, in our Friday episode last week, Dean, you were, you were pretty strong on, on Spurs, on, on how good they are on how well equipped they were for that game in particular, which they ended up winning. So you might feel slightly differently.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I did predict a Spurs win and I said that they were tough to be hard to score against. And tactically, I just thought that Pep's team would struggle to break them down. Um, And it was pretty much how the game unfolded. I mean, are Tottenham going to win the league? I don't think they are, no. And the reason I don't think they'll win the league is because Liverpool are going to. Um, Liverpool have just smashed Leicester with their reserve team. And they've got identical records right now, Tottenham and Liverpool. Tottenham are first. They've both won six, drawn two, lost one, both on 20 points. Um, Both scored the same number of goals, 21. The difference being right now is that Liverpool haven't really felt like they've even got going yet. Like, I haven't seen a performance, really, where I'm like, that's vintage Liverpool. And that's going to come. In the second half of the season, that's going to come. Tottenham, can they get
4: much better than they've been? Well, Bale needs to come into the team. I mean, there's an argument here that they're only only 80% here. They may be, but I'm also wondering if
3: Bale, as an impact player, it might be like one of the best weapons up a sleeve anyone's ever had in the Premier League. And maybe they only want to bring him on for like 20, 25 minutes. And if that's the case, what a changer, though. I mean, what a game changer to have up your sleeve. At some point, obviously, he's going to start be starting games. But for now, it's funny, like in the first few games, how much criticism Bale was getting and people saying, oh, it turns out it's not the old Bale. um, Don't worry about this signing. Do worry about it. Because the difference with having Bale is... You're going to get probably, well, over the course of a season, he'll probably win win you points in five or six games late on that you wouldn't have got without him. You wouldn't have got that under Lucas Moura. Um, And, look, I think Tottenham will finish top four. I think they can compete to be in the top two. I don't
0: think they can win the league. It's funny that you say this, Dean, because a day ago you tweeted a 38 game cup competition take every game in isolation this could be the perfect time for Mourinho to win the Premier League again so suited for him and I think I think that tweet is pretty much spot on like, it I, is. I think and I that... agree with it but that was the day before but that's
3: the day before Liverpool have have a patched up team against Leicester have been one of the best teams in the division and absolutely battered them so I watched that and I thought
0: Oh. Liverpool always beat Leicester, though. This happened last year. Do you remember when Leicester won a oh, bit they beat of a everyone. charge? I beat everyone last season. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. But <laughs> there is always this kind of thing with Liverpool and Leicester where, you know, I was reading they were like every time they come up against them and they seem to be a, a genuine contender, Liverpool seemed to put them to the sword. And it happened last Christmas and it yeah. happened, you know, it's happened again now. It's just a it's a funny one. And I think there are there are a lot of questions. But I yeah, I would say that writing Tottenham off would be a, a bad look right now. Um I think that there is, there's something to be said for the fact that they, you know, probably have the Premier League's form player. They have, you know, a side under Mourinho who seem to be finding their fee. And, you know, I, I'm not saying they're going to win it, but I do think that writing them off, it would be, would be foolish. Uh, Who's the form player, point. Jack? Form player in the league, Harry Kane. Harry
4: Kane, mate. No, oh, Kane. I thought it was uh, quick, um, quick, Quick shout, boys. Quick shout for Jose, because... What, what he actually managed to produce in terms of a game plan was pretty, was pretty vintage Jose, wasn't it? And yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously he ended up playing basically with a back six, which again is kind of vintage Jose, but dropping Hoybier and, and Sissoko into the, into the spaces between his centre-back and full-back either side and just stopping the City 10s or 8s or hybrid 8s uh, from moving into those areas, stopping De Bruyne getting into the areas that he likes to cross into, you know, that one specific angle on the edge of the box. Basically, it was a nullification plan. And they needed they needed to take their chances up front. I don't think they win that game every single time they play it. You know, by the time they went two up, they had had three shots and scored twice. Some would say, obviously, with the form of Kane and Son, that that was to be expected. Others would argue that that is unlikely to happen over the course of, you know, if you played the game 10 times. But they took the chances. The game plan defensively was spot on. And Jose rises above Pep this time. And it is certainly a ranking he has written on his wall, isn't it? I'm currently above Pep. He's yeah. probably was below pet for about three years and that's why he was so angry, but now he looks happy again.
0: Well, I mean, there's a question that rolls on from this quite nicely from Shetacular who says as a United fan, it's infuriating to watch Mourinho get so much out of this Spurs team. I don't think they're much better than what he had at United. What's the reason he's able to get more from these players than he did up at Old Trafford? Is it the United players did not respond to his methods or is he doing something different? It's, you know, it's it's, it's a very interesting point because there is a level here that you think, okay, he's, take, he's elevated this side massively.
4: Yeah, but I mean, his, his first season at United, 2017-18, 81 points, second place. And that was this, the season that City were centurions. They got 100. That was Jose's United. That was a very good team. And it's not, I mean, obviously it fell apart a little bit later, but if you consider this to be Jose's first year at Spurs and it's going really well, well, that happened at United. They went really well in the first year there as well. He got 81 points. Like, I don't think it's that different. And as long as Jose has his big target man to play off and his speed on the wings, like he he can fix the defense. He can patch the defense up himself with whatever personnel he's given. As long as he's got that focal point striker and he's got a hell of one in Harry Kane, then he can do the damage he needs to do. OK, All
0: right. Let's flip yeah. this to the other side of this game, right, where where Man City did struggle a little bit. A question from Daniel Arvidsson. Why are Man City struggling to break down teams this season? Now, I'm sure if you knew the answer, either of you, um, then you'd be on Pep's staff because there's a, there's a lot going on. But there's a couple of questions about Guardiola. And uh, again, you know, he's being questioned, which is, you know, fair enough. I think a little bit in, in the way that the City are, are currently struggling a tad you know when jan hu says does guardiola have to do away with his dogmatism and overhaul his tactics completely in a favor of a more pragmatic solution um and he says well he says the tiki taker is obsolete and the players that emerge from it bar Tiago alcantara are lacking dynamism to contribute anything than their ball retention and pace car passing capabilities which i think is a little bit harsh um that is harsh yeah and kevin kevin put it somewhere else which was he said don't Pep sides miss a kinship in them as a group compared to a Klopp side or even Jose's sides? You see former players talk fondly of Jose, Jose Mourinho all the time, and players like Pulisic love seeing Klopp. Still with Guardiola, that seems to be all a little bit more kind of standoffish praise of his genius and professionalism. Now, there's lots of things at play here, Dean, but there's you can't doubt that there's something not quite right at City. It doesn't help that. Sergio
3: Aguero is not there anymore. That's that's one big thing. One big element to this is they don't have that focal point to their side. And also having Aguero there takes pressure off of Raheem Sterling. Like I've been thinking all season, like why are we not seeing a good Raheem Sterling? Why is, why is he not as efficient or effective as he has been? And it's probably because we're expecting him to step up at a time when City need him to and he's never really done that when you really really expect and need Sterling to deliver he isn't really that that player um I love Sterling but he's he's not going to replace Aguero as that as that guy that you just rely on to win your games there's also like they talk about the dynamism missing I don't you know I don't like Riyad Mahrez's style of play I'd never have and I never will and I just <laughs> feel it just takes him so long to get around to doing things and the way it takes him four stepovers to of course come back on his left foot inside and then comes eventually swings the ball out to the other flank sometimes and just like oh just get on with it we know where it's going just do it and when you had Sterling and Sané and the directness of the way they would start out wide and cut inside or vice versa it was just this clear set patterns that were just so effective, get down, to the tu- get down to the byline, pull it back. It's not there. And they don't have somebody to finish off the chances. Um, that is what they have to find in this City 2.0 team. That's what they need to find. They've got Ferran Torres. Like that's a good addition to this team. He's definitely going to be important to the next phase. Foden, not exactly sure exact what position he's going to play long-term, but he's going to be really effective. Who's the focal point? you know is it is Messi going to be that person is Lautaro Martinez going to be that person are they going to somehow persuade Erling Haaland to come somebody has to come in Gabriel Jesus is probably going to get a new contract this season but i don't think Gabriel Jesus is is a man you can consistently rely on to replace Sergio Aguero Gabriel it's,
4: Jesus man so frustrating i mean you talk about <sighs> You talk about just that 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 last bit. Mother Teresa had more of a killer instinct than Gabby Jesus in front of goal, didn't she? I mean, he's just Jeez. so frustrating. Like, take the shot. Take the onus. Take the responsibility. Look, no Agüero, huge problem. And Dean referenced City 2.0 there, which I think is fitting, because I've been thinking, I was watching him on Saturday thinking, this City are back to first season Guardiola here. They don't look that far off, that kind of disjointed... You know, kind of mess of a team that didn't quite know what to do with regards to pressing, with regard to how to operate in certain areas. There was no, again, your has Hazelhuttle automatisms. It doesn't seem to be automatic. Those two years that they spent at the very, very pinnacle, everything was instinctive. And right now, everything they doubt everything. And there was a, an article in the Athletic, which described um City going 1-0 up and then them getting the yips. You know, when like a punter can't, or sorry, like a field goal kicker just gets the yips and he just can't make, he just can't make the clutch kick. City, when they go 1-0 up, didn't apply this weekend, but generally, they start to panic once they're one up. Because it comes, and it comes back to the original question from Daniel Arvinson, why are they struggling to break teams down? They're nervous. This is the first time in three years that I'm looking at players on the ball and City and thinking, you're actually nervous with the ball. You're not confident in yourselves and if any of us could offer the solution to this you're right we'd either be on pet staff or we'd be pep guardiola himself and we can't answer that question but there are serious problems here uh, I've, I've got the solution by the way I've, hope.
0: I've found it for them so it's fine uh, they play fulham in 2 weeks oh and that will that will no doubt uh, fire city back into into some sort of
3: 5-0 sterling
0: scores 4 <laughs> yeah, um, I would say, though, that I feel as a big Guardiola fan, as you know, it's one of those things where I find it hard to lay the blame completely at the player's door here, Dean. And I think, you know, what you, while what you say about Mahrez has, has merit in that he does take a long time to do things, he is quite a languid player and that does frustrate players at times. And I can, I can see why that does wind people up. Uh, you know, Pep has multiple options here like you say ferran's there foden's there sterling's there bernardo's there it's not like oh you have to play maris every week if that was the issue and the only issue there are there are alternative options and the fact that that the continues to get in his team is because he provides that creative spark and he does you know bring something to the table that no one else does and there's a reason that pep keeps keeps picking him because you know, it's not like he's starved for options and therefore on the right wing, he only has one player to go to. There are, there are plenty here. And I think it's hard to lay it at his door in that way, because if it was as simple as that, then you'd imagine that there would just be a far heavier rotation. And yet when magic moments of magic happen from the City team, they often do come from the left foot of Riyad Mahrez.
3: Yeah, I know he's a good player. I am aware of that. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure like, if you were to see him on a daily basis, you'd be amazed at like just how good he actually is at football. It's just that it's harder to judge Mares when he doesn't have Aguero up there with him as that player that he needs in the centre. Maybe he doesn't have him to, to play off of in the same way. But perhaps he finds that frustrating. I don't know. But this is a Man City team that we got used to scoring over a hundred goals a season. There was no r- real sign that we thought that would let up. And yet as soon as Aguero is not there, we've talked for probably 18 months now about City having to start to think about the transition away from Aguero because of the stage he was getting to of his career. What, what happens next? What happens next? And we still, all we know right now is that the team doesn't work without him. They need him back. And they're having to be very careful about how they manage him because he is the most important cog, it turns out, of that, of that front line. And yet they can't really afford to rest him, even in the smaller game.
4: Well, he is the most important cog when the entire team isn't functioning, right? which is what we have right now. Like When yeah. it functions properly, and I don't think he's... like, For example, I don't think it'd be that like, oh, i pop Aguero in and suddenly they're pressing just like they did two years ago. They're just as cohesive as they were. What Aguero does is he gets you out of a hole. Put they're digging holes for themselves and they can't get out of them because Aguero can't come in with the brace and save them. And he doesn't just fix the team-wide issues, he just kind of papers over the cracks. But right now, they need a plaster, and his name is Aguero. But what I would say is that let's let's again just make it clear that like it's not acceptable for City to be like, oh, but we don't have Agüero, so we're not playing well. Because Liverpool have on different occasions this season lost pretty much everybody. Salah this weekend, one three-nil, Mane, missed a few games van dyke's out for the season gomez is probably up for the season allison missed a few games like liverpool have coped and they don't have as good squad depth as city so i just want to make it clear that we're not hiding behind the like oh yeah well Guerra's not there so obviously they can't win like they should be winning all of their games regardless okay
0: all right there's a, another side that are struggling to to break down teams and that's arsenal um, we had a couple of questions Matt johnson says what can arsenal do internally to fix their attacking issues for reference it's been 476 minutes, nearly eight hours of gameplay since Arsenal have scored a goal from open play. And Klak says, will Aubameyang ever be the same again? And Michelle's answer to all of this was the problem with Arsenal was there was no creative output. Nelson did bring speed in the team, but what else does Arteta need to do to a team that can actually create chances besides bench William, right? I do think there's an element of this. That's a little bit, not harsh because all the points are, are valid, um, but I think that Arteta's game plan was to frustrate Bielsa and frustrate Leeds, which they did reasonably well in the first half. And then Nicolas Pepe decided to be an absolute melon. <laughs> and, and and basically, I, I'm, I'm not sure in what world Nicolas Pepe thinks he's getting away with that. You know, at, what, at what point he's like, oh, yeah, they won't see that on VAR. I just headbutted someone. Like, it, like it, it blows my mind, blows my mind. But I do think that there is a problem with Arsenal's attempt to uh, in, in open players obviously has been has been high and out here Sam but but it's one of those things that I think at, up to the point where Pepe got sent off the game plan was working quite nicely against Leeds
4: it was and to be fair Leeds only got worse through that half because they they got frustrated and they started taking pot shots and stuff and like obviously when you hit the, the woodwork three or four times you feel unfortunate not to win but Arsenal arguably did quite well defensively ultimately um what I would say is and it's a really basic point here you're going to you're going to laugh at me. But ultimately, I think Arsenal's biggest problem, Arteta's biggest problem with regard to the lack of creativity in open play is that they actually just don't field enough attacking or creative players. And sometimes you can go around the houses with these things and you can you can look at the tactics, you can look at the dynamics and ultimately you can also just look at the the, the team that they're fielding and you just you just think, well, yeah you're not fielding any attacking or creative players, are you? Like often Saka starts on the bench at this point with definitely with no Thomas Partey. Sometimes they end up with, you know, you've got Xhaka or El Elneny in there. You've got Willian who is he's doing a lot of the fundamentals, but he's not creating much in terms of a spark. Lacazette's been drifting in and out of games. Aubameyang is not a creative player anyway. All of a sudden, you're looking at these Arsenal teams sometimes and you're like you've got like two creative players on the pitch here, like literally two of two. And one of them is Thomas who plays deep lying midfield. So from a very starting point, they are way too workmanlike. And it comes back to a point we've probably talked about a few times. They feel a little bit overcoached at times, like the ingenuity and the spark has been taken out of their play and that they can't act on instinct and they are actually just kind of robotic. And that definitely tells up when you look at the, t- the players that Arteta chooses and you think you're you're too functional here so it sounds obvious but like just play more play more like attacking and creative players and he tried to do that I think with Nicola Pepe and Pepe got himself sent off and banned I guess for at least three games now so there's there's another problem to uh, to deal with but ultimately I think they're way too conservative with their selections and that has a huge knock-on impact and Yang will even be the same again Clactota I mean, he's ultimately not changed, mate, honestly. He's never been a striker who creates his own chances. He's always been poacher extraordinaire. You'd never ask Aubameyang to beat a couple of players and shoot. You'd never ask him to hold up, turn, beat a man and go, like you would with Harry Kane. This is Aubameyang. If he doesn't get service, he doesn't score goals. He's 31 years of age and he's been the same player for the for a decade. So Arsenal's build-up issues, lack of creativity and not fielding enough players in that area directly leads to a Aubameyang being rubbish because he doesn't get the chances can't create himself you can't ask him to do that
0: Dean we've seen Arsenal change a little bit we've we've kind of left that three at the back system a little bit behind we've you know it's obviously come back in in fits and starts but this was supposed to be I think on paper at least a 4-2-3-1 which which was I suppose an an attempt to try and fix this issue to create more things and and it didn't really work in that regard. It worked in the way that it stifled leads. It didn't really work in the way that it created lots more chances for Arsenal.
3: No, it was kind of the the attacking setup was one of those you normally see them just test out in pre season rather than a, a Premier League match. Um, they had a lot of
4: injuries those guys didn't they? I mean, I I I thought for a second like, oh, he he's fielded these players for a specific reason. I looked at the bench and thought, oh, yeah, it's true. And I think with Arteta.
3: You've got, he does deserve a lot of credit for what's happened at Arsenal. And they're actually really, really pleased with what he's managed to do in his time at the club so far. You know, he's, we've even seen his, his job role literally change. He's, he's now named first team manager. He's not just coach. He's, he's taken charge of various aspects around the club. So there's an, absolutely no chance that they waver from this path that they're on with him. Um, and he's got the winning mentality. They've, they've won the cup last season. And they're
0: defensively very very solid now, they're yeah. solid they're yeah i was just gonna very say very like good ag- against, defensive unit
3: against Leeds like the one thing you came out of it you're like well the performances of people like Holding and Gabrielle and Tierney they had like a real toughness about them and you know a, f- a fight like even Tierney you know after the full-time whistle just looking angry and kind of something that Arsenal have lacked at least as as fans you could look at it and be like Okay, the players care now, the players really care, and it's been quite a while since you could watch that and truly believe it. It does in terms of going back to the what can they do about the you know lack of attacking options, you, it always comes back and it's always going to come back to why can they not find a way to get Urzul going you know it, because it of course Ozil is their the best player. As an actual football player, he is their best player, right? I'm not saying you know, I'm not saying he deserves a place in the team every week. Of course he doesn't because there's still been some flaws in his all round personality in game, but he's their best footballer. Like at least give yourself the option to use him. Um, he's out of so the that, squad, isn't he? Yeah, yeah he's, he's out not. of the he's... squad. And whatever reason they, they took for that, it's a bad one. It's a really bad one because he they could really have they could really do with Meza Ozil to just call upon at times when their squad is, is lacking options.
0: Yeah, it, it does feel like even if you weren't going to start him, having him in reserve to, you know, occasionally bring on as part of it. But maybe he doesn't buy into that. You know, it goes back to what we were saying, right? And maybe he hasn't yeah. bought into that new mentality and, and, you know, thing that Arsenal have going under Arteta. And, you know, that happens behind the scenes. So sure. I, I agree with you in that it does feel weird that he's not part of this squad, but the it interesting thing is like Pepe still
4: fits with that mentality after going around headbutting people for no I reason. Mean, but didn't Pepe, didn't he, didn't he sort of publicly not, I wouldn't say complain because he was more like publicly. It's not moaning either. He was regretting that he hadn't been given more chances. And he spoke to the press about it. He's, so he like, look, getting I'm, enough minutes. he's like, yeah, I mean, obviously like I want to play more. It's disappointing. Well, that was his chance, and that's what happened. But to, to take it away from Urzel again a second, just I take a look at like the, the formation or the, the person that Arsenal used against Villa back to my very basic point. You know what I always say about how you like I like the balance of five attackers and five defenders on a pitch? Yeah. So like Conte's Chelsea, his three-four-three, three, where his three centre backs and his two centre mids defended, more or less, and his wing backs and his front three were his attackers. Five-five. Liverpool are the same. Midfield three and center backs defend. Fullbacks, front three, attack five and five. Arsenal have like two attacking creative players and eight defensive players most of the time because their fullbacks are really conservative. He doesn't use Saka as much as we probably want, and Lacazette drifts out of games. Like I know we can, as I said, you can talk about all different reasons, but fundamentally, he Arteta himself is way too conservative with his selections, and that's I feel like that's the only way that these open play woes creatively really fix themselves.
0: Well, that's enough about Arsenal. Uh, there is a couple more Premier League teams that we're going to rattle through before we move on to the Bundesliga and Serie A and obviously a load of questions at the end that we're going to quick fire through but before that, uh, Sam Papworth says, with Timo Werner proving such an effective presence from the left wing, where does Christian Pulisic fit into the Chelsea team when he's back from injury? Could we see him deployed in the middle of the front three? Sam, I know you're gasping
4: to answer this one. So over to you. No, not gasping to answer this question. Just kind of wanting to revel in some self-indulgence for a second. But like, what did we say all summer? Yeah, Timo Werner off the left-hand side, off a target, man, in Tammy Tammy Abraham, just as he did at Leipzig where he had, you know, Patrick Schick or or Yusuf Poulsen to to play off. It has taken Lampard a little bit of time um, to figure out all of the different moving parts in his team. His, you know, his his double eights in midfield ahead of Kante, that came together. The front three is now coming together and just as important with Werner from the left is Abraham as the focal point these players are really enjoying playing off him and using him as a decoy this Chelsea team is singing partially as a result of Tammy Abraham playing and winning that role back as a number nine that gives Olivier Giroud an opportunity to step in and play as the reserve or rotational number nine it actually massively enhances Giroud's chances of playing I think which sounds a bit odd because Tammy's stolen his spot but if they fix, if they fix and settle on this way of playing, then Giroud is now the automatic rotational striker, and that means that I don't think you can then move over to someone like Pudzick in the middle. That doesn't make sense to me because of the the pattern of the uh, and, and the structure of the attack. Pudzick is now ultimately, you know, he has to win his spot on the left or the right, and he can do either. I know we've seen his best from the left, but I think he can play on the right, and that might be his best route to minutes at the moment. But He's going to have to wait this one out and try and win his spot back. But this is what happens when you have, you know, 15 quality attackers. I don't know. I don't. I mean, this is how I would look at
3: it. Timo Werner is undroppable, right? Tammy Abraham isn't. I I think the easy option for Lampard is still to put Pulisic back out wide. Werner goes back in the middle the stays out in the other flank. like I just That's what I see happening. It's a really tough one for Lampard because Abraham's given him, posed him a question. I don't think he thought he'd do possibly quite as well as this. And, you know, even a lot of Chelsea fans have been surprised at how much they've enjoyed what Abraham's been able to do. I just think that there's no way he's going to leave Werner out. Hulisic, the most obvious place to put him is out on the left. I just see him putting Werner back in the middle. I think it'll happen.
4: I hope it doesn't. I can see what you mean, but if he's smart, he doesn't do that. If he's smart, he just leaves Pulisic out until, until an injury happens because you can't take. How can he leave take...
3: Pulisic out, mate,
4: though? He's, I mean, you when can't he plays, take, you he's their take, best player. But you can't take Ziyech out because he's been an absolute magician. That's Werner... why you get rid of Tammy. No, you don't because this whole attack is working.
0: It's true. It's true. There are. It works. There, there is a valid point. It's like if it ain't broke, yeah, don't fix it, right? But I, I can see where you're coming from, Dean. And I think there's, there's, there's a
3: very valid argument. I'm just looking that. at. I just know what Frank. Lampard, I, I, just, I look. Put myself in Frank Lampard's position. He, like Pulisic, is, was their best player, right? Before these injuries set in, like Pulisic was their best player, and he knows what he's capable of. And I, I just think he'll he won't be able to resist. He might not play the first game he's back from injury, but by the second game, when he's like fully fit, he is not going to be able to resist leaving Pulisic on the bench. There's no way. He'll put him straight in.
4: I get it. I get it. But there are lots of games to go around here. So there are opportunities to um, circumvent this issue by citing fixture pileup and trying a few new things. But I think we know from what we've seen how this Chelsea attack starts to purr. and we, I think we know it's anchored off Tammy up front well there we have it we have, we have an answer or, or at least sam
0: has oh, an answer in go. terms of how, how to sort <laughs> this out right after the break we're going to be turning our sights to europe and beyond don't go anywhere
2: fair play and fair value it's what playing at william hill is all about william hill it's who you play with Jumble responsibly.
0: welcome back to ranks fc where we are halfway through our monday patreon post box now if you're enjoying yourself and you feel like you should get involved with this every week we think you should and then you can come and join us obviously over on patreon where this is a weekly occurrence you get your questions answered as well we get through as many different patreon questions as we can every single week and it's a it's a whole load of fun so so we'd highly encourage you to come and join us over there the link is in the description for this episode or you can go to patreon.com forward slash ranks fc let's get into the bundesliga and all of the questions pretty much uh, are directed towards one club and in particular one man and we'll start here dean ed jackson says where do you think harland will go next and when and, and before you get to this just can we talk about erling harland on, on the weekend because this was ludicrous watching erling
3: harland at the weekend against Herter was actually quite funny, but I felt really, really sorry for Herta because in any other game, they probably would have won. But Haaland just showed his superpowers and made a mockery of them because he's bigger than everyone else and he's faster than everyone else and he can kick it harder than everybody else. And he- <laughs> It was either like when you're at school and yeah, there's a kid say. a kid that's grown and gone through puberty before everybody else. And so he just like shoves everyone out the way and just can storm past everyone. And for like two years, he's the best kid in the school and then everybody else catches up and you never hear of him again. Or it's like a computer game where you've just got a player that just stands out on your team and you always get get the ball to him because he has um a rating
0: far higher than everybody else on the pitch and just storms through it was adriano on pez three was wasn't it this was this is it it was like it was it was just unplayable it didn't matter what he did and and harlem was just that unplayable
3: he really really was um if you haven't seen even just go and look at the goals from from that dortmund game because it genuinely is quite funny He's so fast, this lad, he's so fast. Anyway, let's get to, the reason he's at Dortmund is because he was excited about what they were building and what he would be part of. And it was a stepping stone to where he wants to be on his overall journey, right? And it was a really good decision to to go there. He wants to play with people like Rayner and I know Bellingham wasn't there at the time, but like that, he knows that they're the type of players that they're going to be targeting. And he wants to come through with a lot of players that are still emerging and trying stuff. And that's, he, he can be the star man in a team like that, right? Where he goes next is really, really difficult to predict. I don't think he's going to leave yet. I really don't. I think he's going to stay at Dortmund for another year. I think that... As in a year, as in he won't leave next summer, even. I don't it think will he'll be... leave in the summer, no. I think it'll be the summer after. I think he's going to, I think he'll see this through for a little bit. Unless there's like a project which defines how he fits into it clearly and what the overall philosophy is, and he just can't turn it down. I can't think of anyone, to be honest, that he would be that tempted
0: by. Is there the sentimental draw of Man City, given his father? Maybe, but I I don't know if he'll go there yet.
3: I don't think he'll take that step yet. Like, City is... It's kind of a gamble as well. There is definitely the temptation that it's City, but I think that they're still going to look at people like that are a bit more similar to Aguero before they go to Haaland. That's why there's always the links with like a Lautaro type figure, I think, in terms of like build and like where he's from. Similar
4: in terms of nationality. Nationality
3: and like how tall he is. But Haaland, the thing, the thing with Haaland, right, is, is a mix of old school and new school. So pretty much fits in with whoever you want, right? You could be, you can play any sort of football, and you can fit Haaland into your team there is no other player out there like him right now like people say okay Mbappe like he's going to be the best player in the world right they're just so different aren't they and if you were to if you want a striker you're, you're going to look at Haaland I think ahead of Mbappe unless you're Real Madrid with their Mbappe pot yeah, yeah. I mean the cost here is surely a factor yeah obviously but I don't know, it's, just re- it's going to be really interesting to see how this whole Haaland thing opens out and he seems like he's got a really good team around him, you know, his dad and his, the other representatives and even himself, he seems like very focused. You don't, you don't hear all these stories around him like you do with players like Jadon Sancho where that are clearly upsetting the club and he's out, you know, parties or flying off mm-hmm. here and there. Haaland just seems to love football. And he gets angry at people when they ask him silly questions. He gets angry at people when
4: they doubt him. That's the kind of footballer you want to be signing. This lad's going all the way to the top. Haaland is that is that player. You, you say he's a mix of new school, old school. Dean, you're on fire today, by the way, with these references. I like it. He is. There are very few strikers, very few strikers that you could confidently say could play for Pep and or Jose Mourinho because of the different things that they would ask of their striker. And yet Haaland... Haaland could play for anybody, and that includes those two ends of the spectrum. He is a remarkable, remarkable player. I just want to send my condolences to Mateus Cunha, who scored an unbelievably good goal in that game, and no one is going to remember it. We do, it we do like job.
0: Mateus Cunha. He gets a fair bit of airtime on this podcast, so. but he scored
4: such a good goal, and then good Harlan one. went and scored four. It's just, it's
0: a joke. But I mean, let's take it on to Dortmund as a whole. And and Seve Ho says. Dortmund seem to hold many keys to the future with young players, Haaland, Reina, Bellingham. It doesn't appear to be so this season, but do you think they can topple the Bayern dominance in Germany? Or do you think they'll only stay until a larger club show interest in them? He says that he believes Dortmund has shown they have the capacity to become a top three club in the world if they kept and developed their, the, the talent they have their hands on. But, you know, we've spoken to, we spoke to Christian Falk and the summer dean and there's other people who you know say that Dortmund aren't aren't, aren't the kind of club to do that they don't have the financial stability to hold on and basically be like no we're going to keep all these players and actually Mm. just keep marching onwards it's going to be a a a place where young talent is honed and they're reasonably happy with that
3: yeah I think it's important as well to bear in mind that Bundesliga clubs particularly ones like Dortmund are being really hit by the whole pandemic and you've got basically the biggest stadium in Europe right empty every week pretty much that's huge for a club like Dortmund Um, and I think the Bundesliga is going to feel the effect of this in a year or so and maybe that's why Haaland does become available if if Dortmund do want to cash in and, and make some money while they can I do kind of feel like they are a feeder club and will always be a feeder club until they decide otherwise it's a place that Gio Reyna and Pulisic are going to raise their profile and then get the move of their dreams. I don't feel like any of these players are dreaming of ending up at Dortmund, but they know it's a club they would love to play for, yes, and they will give everything while they're there, but it's not the end of their mission.
0: How do you change that? If you're Dortmund, or maybe you don't want to, but if you did want to, how do you change that? Because it doesn't feel like Bayern are like that, and yet... The model in Germany stands by every club, right? The, the fans have to own 50% of it. The The finances have to be intact. How do you change the mentality of a club like Dortmund so that it is a final destination rather than a stepping stone? Because it feels like Bayern are, are a final destination, but everyone else feels a bit like a stepping stone.
4: Don't you just like basically say that? Don't you just assert that? I mean, ultimately, I think part of the pitch here for Dortmund, and this is this is a good thing and a bad thing, is that these players really want to go to Dortmund, partially because they know it's a wonderful place to develop and play, but also partially because they know they will not be trapped there. If they want to leave, that they can leave. And if Dortmund turned around and said, Yeah, so we're not selling you, and we're now buying players with an with an with an emphasis on development and then keeping you and becoming a superpower, you might find that they attract fewer starlets because those players then don't want to go to Dortmund because it's not the stepping stone. They thought it was Harland very clearly prioritized playing time when he made his decision 12 months ago. And he joined, uh, he joined Dortmund. Now, if Dortmund hadn't have said, Oh yeah, well, obviously, you know, if he didn't know that Dortmund were a, were a team that could hone you and then develop you and then sell you, he might not have gone there. Like that's, this is part of it. And Ultimately, it's up to Dortmund to assert what they are in the market. You choose what you are if you're Dortmund. And they have chosen to be a team that sells players. And that works for them in some ways, and it burns them in others. How do you change that? You decide to be a different type of team, like Bayern have decided that they are the best team in Germany, the biggest team in Germany, an honor to play for, the best thing in the world. And if you play for us, you are super lucky. That is basically how they operate.
0: Yeah, I guess there's uh, ups and downs to all of it, but it, it does seem a weird one when, yes, you, you look at these players and you look at them coming through and you think, right, this team has the capacity and the capabilities challenged by and maybe next year. And then you wonder how many of these players will be there next yeah, year. Suddenly, but... Harland leaves, Sancho's gone, Bellingham's going and you're like,
4: uh oh. I mean, the good thing is they always have another three players to, to put they forward, do, don't yeah. they? They do, yeah. so. Well, the talent machine
0: keeps rolling, and Dortmund mm-hmm. keep making everybody happy, and and I suppose that's something in itself, right? It's uh, it's about keeping people happy. Let's flip to Italy, uh, to study how where Benjamin has a question about Milan, and he says, I get that Milan are a really well-run club for the first time in a decade, and it makes sense that they're improving, but how have they gotten this good? this fast it's not just ibrahimovic although obviously he's unreal they have a lot of players that were there last year or two years ago and just weren't that good but are suddenly integral to the best team in italy obviously this team isn't perfect but how did this happen was the talent always there just unrealized or is this an unsustainable overperforming of their ability and eventually they'll fall back to earth make this make sense for me please now (laughs) there's a lot going on and and milan are obviously top of the league this is only the second time ever well, second time in the three-point era, should we say, that they've got 20 points from their first eight games in a Serie A season, the last time they went on to win the Scudetto. And that is an impressive feat in itself, given where the side were last year,
4: Sam. It is. It is impressive. I would say that the rapid turnaround is ultimately, and this is the case for a lot of things in football, Benjamin, the recruitment has been absolutely superb. And... It's not just about identifying, you know, talented players and, and watching the under-20 World Cup or watching the Europa League and, and, and finding your Jens Halgers or whatever. It's it's about squad building and squad meshing as well. They've got a manager in Pioli who seems to be able to essentially harness a talented team. They're not that spectacular tactically. They're pretty modern. They have very attacking fullbacks. They have a really hard-working central midfield duo. They have a good number 10. They have a talismanic striker. They have goal scoring, attacking mids like they're pretty standard by your modern 2020 footballing terms. Ultimately, it's about two years worth of excellent recruitment because all these players you're watching have ultimately been bought in the last two years. They're checking the market. They're looking at, oh, Teo Hernandez is available for what we think is a bargain fee. We'll buy low on him. Rafael Liao is an emerging player. Kayer was a buy-low, sort of low-risk, high-reward player, a veteran presence. Benassa was the golden ball winner, or whatever you call it, at the AFCON. He was the best player at the AFCON, and they took him from Sampdoria. Like, they're just signing well. And ultimately, when you buy better players, you get better. And it seems like, with Milan, have they missed on any signings in the last two years? Like, Has there been one that you're like, nah, that didn't work out very well? They're very hard to point out, aren't they? Rada Krunic is the one I can see looking at the squad list where I'm like, ah, you've not been great. But he doesn't really get to play that much. The rest of Biontech. them have all been hits.
2: Oh, yeah, Piontek. Yeah.
4: Oh, that's very true, Piontek. Uh, yeah, okay. But I mean, like, so they've, they've ultimately, yeah, they've missed a couple, but I think the percentage is, is very high. The hit rate is ridiculous. And this is, just, this is what good recruitment does. And then obviously they've got the manager to harness it all together. And as we keep saying, Zlatan, the focal point, the talisman, the guy that sort of brings it all together. That's a squad building success as well as a talent ID success.
0: Well, yeah, that's, um, it's one of those things, isn't it? Where Zatan just appears to have changed the mentality of this side, Dean, as much as anything else. And, and that will play a huge part in this. It is, you know, being like being told by someone that good, that you are good enough and you are good enough to compete with anyone and you are good enough to you know, to challenge the top of this table and then suddenly you're like, oh, maybe I am. And I think there is there has to be an element of that. I don't think it's the be all and end all, but I do yeah. think there's an element of it.
3: There was. I mean, I don't think we should underestimate the impact that Pioli made. Um there was that there was a stage, what, six months ago, like Pioli was on his way out and they mm. were going to have a complete overhaul of this whole system. And Pioli knew that. He knew how close he was to going. And he got everyone together and he gave it absolutely everything to Make sure every person in that squad and in the backroom team knew what he was trying to do and what he believed he could do. And he took them all aside and he, and he explained his roles to them, their roles to them, and just painted a picture of what he wanted Milan to be if they bought into it. And from what I heard, like everybody was so impressed by what he spelled out that it brought everybody together. And they've never looked back from that moment. If you look back to post lockdown to now, Like, Milan are one of the best teams around, and it all stemmed from the fact that he was just desperate to cling on to his job and make a go of it. So he gave it everything, and fair play to him, because it does seem to have been the catalyst for everybody coming on board.
4: He saved his own job there. Like, they were all set to appoint Ralph Rangnick in some kind of, like, managerial director of football, overseeing, overpowering role. Like, it was done. They were ready to do it. Ralph Rangnick had agreed to everything, and... They'd already started putting the, the the pieces in place, and then Pioli just make he forces them to make a decision, forces them to make a horrible, difficult decision. So like fair play to him, like it's incredible what he's managed to do. Oh, he's brought the levels
0: of so many players up again, and I think that there's you know much that you much you have to give him pretty much all the credit for, and and that's why Milano, that's why Milano are doing well, isn't it? You know the background. It took a while for the the recruitment and all of these different bits to to actually come into place but now it has fallen into place it does seem like the the bones of it have been there for a while and it has now just finally clicked and and it's taken a lot of different elements for that to happen and yet this is where we are now and and so no I don't think this is unsustainable I don't know if Milan will definitely win the league I think that you know that's a that's a bold prediction to make even here and we said at the top of the show that predicting league victories at, at this point in November are it's going to be difficult, but I think they're definitely in with a shot. And, and that in itself is more than Milan will have been hoping for from this season.
4: It's possible that Zlatan's goal return is somewhat unsustainable yes agree just because it's of the also lawsuits. possible it's not <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay right we've got
0: a little quick fire questions so we're going to finish with a little trip around the world basically but there's some from mls and we will uh, we'll deal with them in the whole miss but dean i've got one from john which is only directed at you and he wants to know your craziest moment working with charlie from sunderland till i die was
3: <laughs> the craziest thing about it is i didn't even know he liked football actually. Um it was primarily just like a horse racing guy and he was, he was overseeing the whole thing. And he was a bit, he was an odd, he was an odd bloke. Um, He was just way, way more posh than everyone on our desk anyway. And pretty unrelatable to be honest, but seemed to have very minimal interest or knowledge in football. And was just like the money guy and loves horse racing. That's what I always thought of him. So um, I don't have any crazy stories because I was so low down the ladder that he spent as little time with me as possible. But um, the only thing I can remember is he would wear ridiculous socks and loved horse racing.
0: Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, there we have it. He didn't like football. That's a good... um, I think that's a good enough uh, excuse, isn't he? Okay, Mitch Hutchinson says, who's been the most impressive EPL signing so far? start with you, Sam.
4: Oh, no. I mean i just said EPL, I hate the fact that I've just said EPL, yeah, yeah. it really upsets me I struggle, I've struggled to get away from the idea that Jota has been nothing short of incredible um, But I mean look, value for money wise, there's still a winner in Ferran Torres Which we said again back in June or whatever it was, whenever they managed to secure his signature Like Ferran Torres for like 20 odd million is a joke, it's a joke of a deal, he is so so good and that is the best value deal of the summer, I think. But Jota has been an absolute standout. So has Pierre-Emil Hoybier.
0: Yeah,
4: little yeah. shout
0: for Alan as well.
4: Hoybier was 15 million. That, that's, that's unreal. He's fifteen million, and like, oh, I don't, I don't know how to feel about that one because uh, it was a rare everybody wins deal because everyone got money and everyone got a player because yeah. Walker Peters has been fantastic for Southampton. Yeah, true, true. Everyone's happy and no one misses the player that they lost, but those players are playing brilliantly for their new teams. It makes mm. no sense.
0: No, everyone's having everyone's having a good time. Yeah, twenty-five million for Alan, I think, is genuinely a really good bit of business from from Everton. I'm going to, I'm going to stay on that path. Um, You're not going to go Jota. No, I've already, t- I've talked enough about Diogo Jota, <laughs> mate. Um, I, I, I know, I knew that Diogo Jota I've was be an one. incredible, incredible I knew signing. It. I, knew it. I knew it, so there's no point in me even going over it again. But yeah, fair play. Um, and talking of Alan, Sam McCrory asks, what are your guys' thoughts on the tucked-in jersey, who is the champion of this look? He says he feels it's a difficult-to-pull-off look and underappreciated, and Alan is championing it right now. No, He's Bellerin.
3: A- Bellerin when he does it. I oh, love yeah. it. It's so good when Bellerin does it. I, I was watching the Arsenal game a couple of weeks ago and that was my favourite thing about the game, just constantly <laughs> looking at Bellerin
0: with his tucked-in shirt. KT3 is a wonderful tucker
4: inner. Fullbacks look good then. I always think that if you tuck your shirt in, you look like you should be playing up front for Mansfield Town. And um, I can't shake that image from my head. So I hate it.
0: Did, did you say a- you used to wear your shirt tucked I in? Mean.
3: I did, yeah. A lot of the oh, time. Because the shirts were all so big for me, I had no choice no choice that's what even when I played for like going back when I was at Fulham and like in the academy or whatever like you don't get the treatment you get now we had the old first team kit I was a small 14 year old wearing the number 10 shirt from the bloke who's about six foot four in the first team. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you
0: had to tuck it in. Otherwise it, I, it I still actually want long wore... sleeve, but it's actually short sleeve. Yeah. I had a bet. You had a, you had a belt round it. It was like a dress. <laughs> um, <It was. laughs> okay. Let's go to MLS. Uh, Quinn Kaufman says, who'd you guys back to do it in the MLS playoffs? Now that the stage is set. Oh,
3: so unpredictable. It's so fun though, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it really is. Um, I really like Nashville. Somebody asked about Nashville in the in the questions, and yeah, Nashville are fun, and they're a, they could catch everybody by surprise. Um, I think he said as an expansion team, was anybody expecting to be the best? And and definitely not. But what they've done is they've got a couple of people like Dax McCarty and Walker Zimmerman. Like they're really smart additions to that team, and well. They were very, very comprehensive winners, beating into some Miami 3-0 uh, at the weekend. And I mean, the goal from, from Randall Leal was ridiculous. He's a standout player that, you know, I I do think they could do it. I don't. I honestly don't know where this is going, partly because I gave up on MLS for about four months. Um, so I was like, right, I'm all in now for the playoffs. Like, now it matters. I'm there. <laughs> till now i couldn't i just couldn't get into it but i've watched a lot of it over the weekend and stuff um i'm going nashville it's not probably going to happen you think I mean, nashville are going to win it yeah do you know what their uh manager spent like played like one game for fulham oh, okay fine yeah. done yeah okay cool they've
0: um they've won it then already yeah <laughs> um that that was easy that was um that was really I, good he's english played for fulham Go on in Nashville. All right, um, Sam. I mean the the game the game that's obviously taken caught the eye in many ways is the the Portland versus Dallas game and the absolutely ludicrous free kick uh, penalty kick shootout. That was Orlando N Y C F C. There was loads. No, no, there was there was another one in Portland Dallas where they won eight Dallas won eight seven. Oh, I didn't see. it. Was it last night? Yeah. And then obviously oh, the Orlando I wasn't even going to get on You spoiled that for me. I wasn't even going to get on to Orlando <laughs> CFC. Uh, that was yeah. that was that was too nuts to be to be even discussing,
4: I think. Look guys, you know I don't watch MLS. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't I don't know who are uh, Toronto in the playoffs. Yeah, Toronto play Nashville. Right, well I'm going to pick Toronto then. That's like, just mm. like I do every year. Cameron Arato says, "Where do
0: you think an MLS All-Star team would place in the top 5 leagues?" An MLS All-Star team
3: well I mean it depends which league obviously I mean France they'd win it Um, (laughs) (laughs) they would be mid table mid table I mean the Premier League they might get relegated I mean Carlos Vela this is this is the problem with it Carlos Vela is the best player in MLS I know I'm biased but he's best player in MLS where would he fare in the top five leagues in Europe do really well no well probably not he'd probably be like a mid-range player wouldn't he
4: I assumed that he'd be like a Europa League standard winger.
0: Yeah, 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 I think that's fair enough. I think that's exactly right. But that's what I mean. So if that's your best player, then where's the
4: rest falling?
3: Would, that, <laughs> would the All-Star team beat Burnley? At the moment, yeah. yeah at the moment, they would, yeah. Burn, yeah. Pete Burn, like Burnley from last season? Nah.
0: Nah, I think okay. Chris, yeah, would, Chris
3: Wood would bully it,
0: wouldn't he? Yeah, they wouldn't beat that team. <laughs> okay, last question. This is from <laughs> Jeremy Tenisailor. He says, with Pep staying on as City manager... What top club, if any, right now can managers like Pochettino and Allegri go for? And before you say the obvious answer, no, Man United should not be considered in this situation. Um, It's a good question. Where would you chuck Poch or Allegri
4: right now? Well... I mean, we're not expecting Ronald Koeman to last that long at Barcelona. So there's one obviously massive job that is surely up for grabs within the next six to 12 months. I get the feeling that Real Madrid are really committing to Zidane and Simeone is at go Madrid. So that's probably that one. And then, yeah, I mean, how does Pila get on at Juventus? Because if it doesn't go very well, then they will sack him. They are pretty ruthless like that. So I'd probably add Juve into the ring more for Pochettino than Allegri because I don't think they'd obviously go back to that. Whenever Hansi Flick decides to stop winning most of his games at Bayern Munich, that becomes available. But PSG surely is the one that's like, I don't know, man. It just doesn't feel like this is going to st- Thomas Tuchel is going to be sticking around that much longer either. So Barça and PSG in the next twelve months, I expect to change managers. Yeah, and it would not surprise me if. I don't actually. I don't even know which combo it is, but Allegri or Poch took either of those jobs. I know what Poch has said in the past about Barca, but he seems to have carefully retracted those comments in search for employment. Yeah, yeah I did notice I, this.
3: I think PSG is a good shout for Poch. I really do.
2: Mm. He'll
4: win stuff. I think some it's stuff. perfect
3: for him. That'd He'll win nice. stuff. He gets to spend some money. Gets to have a really good time. He wasn't allowed to spend money for like three years. <laughs> and Tuchel. He's in the last year of his contract, isn't he?
0: Yeah,
3: I think he is. I'm not sure Allegri
4: um, fits at Barcelona. No, Allegri, I think is done. Shut up, Dino. No he's way. not done. He just doesn't fit at Barca. Allegri would he's be great done. at PSG. Where's he going to go? He'd be brilliant. Where's at PSG? he going to go? He'd be oh, he could PSG. go to Man, could, Allegri. Could go to Man United. And be a yeah, be
3: I'm going to Google me. this. Allegri finished. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Are yeah. you expecting
4: a yes or a no?
3: Is Allegri finished? No, no, <laughs> okay. no, so yeah, so that's interesting.
4: Um, to United would be a really nice hit, I think. So, um, yeah, there's there's definitely those options out there. I know obviously United was ruled out there, but um, I'm going to put it back in regardless. But PSG, Barca, and potentially Juventus, PLO pending. I mean, I think
0: there's someone made a, a very valid point on Twitter the weekend, and I'm sorry I won't be able to find the tweet, but they did say that since basically Barcelona sacked Valverde who had them top of the league to bring in a manager that played more of a Barcelona style and make Barcelona and make Messi happier they have done two managers who have failed to either implement a style or make Messi happier Barcelona are now 8th and 10th 10th after eight games and are sadder and Messi is sadder than he's ever been. <laughs> he maybe it. Maybe, he the hates point, it. maybe the point maybe the point wasn't sorry,
4: quick guys. I think Barcelona 12th. Just like oh, 12th now. Maybe 12.
0: maybe Allegri would would just sort the mess out. Maybe
3: Allegri is actually the only Honestly. person that can sort the mess at Barcelona out. Done messi is done at barcelona all right it's time to finish this podcast yeah when when dean starts making statements like messi allegory's finished messi is done this podcast is over <laughs> yeah, <This> podcast. farewell <laughs> see you on patreon guys um well <laughs> come and join us for yeah. more, more sensible opinions like this every
0: week <laughs> all right uh, and on that bombshell, as they say uh, it's probably time for us to finish um all that's really left for me to do is so say thank you very much dean jones Cheers, Jack. Thank you very much, Mr. Sam Tsai. Cheers, buddy. I've been Jack Collins. This has been a free episode of the Patreon Postbox. And remember, if you do fancy joining us and making your Patreon loan deal permanent, uh, the link is in our bio or it's patreon.com forward slash ranks FC. It's less than a pint a month for the three of us to share, which is... (laughs) We don't want to share. Basically, pints, unbelievable value. Frankly, <laughs> if you were buying one pint a month for us to share to get eight extra podcasts, we think that that's uh, it's pretty class. Frankly, we think that's that pretty sounds class, like some so kind um... of forfeit
4: having to share a pint with you two. What yeah, have we exactly. done to deserve that? Eh? But I, I don't know. Remember the competition these... as well, guys. Uh, and yep. yeah, if you get somebody to join up,
0: send us a DM with that person's name, and we will enter you in the competition to win a football shirt of your choice. If you want a name and number on the back, you can have you can have whatever you want, basically from from this football shirt so on that note uh, we'll call this a day and thank you so much for listening it's been Ranks FC and we'll see you on Wednesday for our big ranking episode take care gang see you later peace
2: fair play and fair value it's what playing at William Hill is all about William Hill it's who you play with Gamble responsibly.
0: Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothies, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com/ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward/ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com/ranks.